You are listening to episode 35 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Martin Blackman. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to episode 35 of the Tennis Files podcast. I hope you're all doing well and playing a lot of tennis. Uh, it's getting a little cooler, but that means the weather is a lot more pleasant than uh, the summer for sure. And uh, as for me, I've been really focusing on my fitness um, with a lot of the uh, more intensive playing season winding down, um, in particular after speaking with Dr. Mark Kovacs on episode 33 uh, and picking up his book, uh, Complete Conditioning for Tennis Players. Uh, I've kind of designed my own routine or exercise plan from that book, uh, which you can get at tennisfiles.com slash fitness book. And, you know, I've noticed that I've become a lot more explosive because I've been training uh, a lot of different facets of my game, including, uh, you know, my strength, my agility and speed, uh, my endurance, my power. And uh, it's really just, uh, it's been great, and I've been feeling the effects of, you know, my increased uh, fitness capacity. As for today's show, it's uh, going to be a, an excellent uh, in-depth look into the USTA uh, training program. Martin Blackman is the head of the USTA Player Development, and um, you know, he helps develop top American tennis players, get as many players to the top of the rankings as possible. And, you know, over the years, they've really done a great job. I mean, just looking at the uh, rankings list, we've got 12 boys and 20 girls in the top 100 of the ITF junior rankings, uh, one of which kicked my butt in the Charlottesville ITF a few months ago. We also have currently seven uh, male players in the top 100 of the, of the ATP rankings and 14 women in the top 100 of the WTA rankings. So that just goes to show that uh, America definitely has a lot of great talent right now, and we can attribute that in large part to uh, the different changes and the current uh, training philosophy that is headed by Martin Blackman and the USTA. So major kudos to them. Uh, so without further ado, here is my interview with Coach Martin Blackman. Hey everybody, this is Mirabon and we're here with Martin Blackman who took over as the general manager uh, of USDA Player Development last June. Uh, Martin is responsible for partnering with the U.S. tennis community to identify and develop the next generation of world-class American tennis players. Um, a lot of uh, the fans of the podcast know Martin. Uh, he's actually a local of the D.C. area. He was uh, formerly the coach of American University, and he also used to coach at the Junior Tennis Champion Center. Uh, he has a very distinguished resume. Uh, he was a, uh, a formerly ranked 158 in the world on the ATP Tour, and he played Davis Cup for Barbados. Coach Blackman, I just really uh, am honored to speak with you today, and uh, I appreciate your time and for being willing to speak on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. 
Yeah, Coach Blackman, I just want to start off the show by asking you, you know, you're obviously at a, an amazing place in your career, but how did you get to where you are as the uh, head of USA Player Development? Well, you know, tennis has been part of my life since I was four years old. So um, I was born in New York uh, while my dad was at graduate school at Columbia, um, moved to Barbados um, at the age of, age of three. And um, luckily, I had two older brothers, two twin brothers who, who were 10 years older than me, who were, who were good tennis players and really taught me how to play. So I started playing at the age of four, um, you know, became a good junior, started playing internationally at the age of 11. And when I was 12 years old, I lost finals of the Orange Bowl. And um, after the match, Nick Voluntary offered me a scholarship to the uh, Voluntary Tennis Academy. So that was really the first big opportunity uh, that I had to uh, train at a high level and train with, with um, other really committed juniors that have the same goals. So I've trained at the Voluntary Tennis Academy during high school from 13 to 17. Um, did, did well in the juniors. Um, you know, won some national titles and um, got an ATP ranking at a pretty young age during my junior year. Um, and then I went to Stanford University and played college tennis at Stanford uh, for two years. Uh, so again, another big opportunity. When I kind of look back at my life, um, I look back at Nick um, giving me that first opportunity and then Coach Gould is giving me that second opportunity to come to Stanford. Got better at Stanford, just loved it, loved it academically as well, and um, was part of two NCAA championship teams there. Um, got to play on teams with David Wheaton, Alex O'Brien, Patrick McEnroe, Jeff Tarango. After, um, after that, I played on the tour for six years. Pretty... I mean, spotty success. I mean, when I think of my pro career, I definitely don't feel like um, I maximized my potential as a as a player. But I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about myself. Um, I learned a lot about the game. I really enjoyed the traveling part of it. I, I spoke a few different languages, and I've always been I've always loved to learn about different cultures. And I made some great friends. So after six years on the tour, um, I knew that I that I needed to finish my degree, and um, I wasn't at that time. I couldn't afford to go back to Stanford. Um, now there's some great. There've been some great changes in the academic world where people, athletes who leave after two years, um, who have been on scholarship, are often able to come back and complete their degree on on scholarship. Wow. Uh, that, that wasn't in place at that time. So I got an academic scholarship to GW University in D.C., and that's really what brought me back to D.C. Um, and then I had 15, you know, 15 great years there in D.C. So finished my degree at GW in economics and would, and at the same time had applied to the MBA program at um, American University. So I was accepted in the MBA program, and I got to meet the men's head coach at American and hit, hit work where I would be the assistant coach for the men's team 
And then in return, I would get tuition remission for my for my classes. So it was a great deal. Um, about three weeks before the season started, um, the coach um, resigned. So um, the, the athletic department was stuck with me. Um, and that really began my career as a coach. Um, like I said, at that time, coming off the tour with a lot of mixed emotions, you know, you always have frustrations. You wish you'd done certain things. And, you know, you remember all the close matches that you lost. I really wanted to get away from tennis. But after that first semester of coaching at American University, I fell in love with coaching. I really just um, fell in love with with mentoring um, young people, being able to be positive with them, especially kind of in through the filter of thinking back to how coaches had related to me and the effect that coaches had on me when they were positive. One of the most important times in the evolution of a coach is when he or she realizes the difference in the coach that they want to become versus the way they were coached. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when, when former players or former athletes start as coaches right after their career ends, the first thing they bring into their coaching approach is whatever the coaching style or philosophy of their coach was. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how you start. But like I said, in, in th that experience coaching at American University, one of the things that I realized pretty quickly, because I, I did start off coaching with a pretty old school kind of command style um, approach, uh, because that was the way I was I was coached. But pretty quickly, I saw that I had a lot more success and a much better connection with the players when I was more empathetic, when I remembered the mistakes that I made when I were when I was their age, um, when I remembered the effect of, you know, words from my coaches, positive or negative on me, and also understanding what they were dealing with um, from a human perspective in terms of, you know, just who they were and how they were parented and what they were dealing with in school and really understanding that you can't be, you can't be demanding with players that you coach until you have a really strong relationship with them. Yes, Coach Blackman. I mean, I think that's extremely important too that we're able to evolve in, in the way we coach and understand different playing styles and personalities. And it's kind of like, Going on the court with only one style of play, it's you're you're not able to um, uh, be flexible to uh, against other styles. I do want to step back for one second and just ask you. You know, you you talked about your ATP career, which I mean, it's 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 already incredible that you reached uh, 150 in the world. But if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were around uh, in the, in your 20s while you were playing on the tour, what would you tell yourself to help you uh, reach greater heights in your uh, pro career? Wow, that's a great question, Mermont. Um, I have to think a little bit about that because I'll be very honest with you. I've, I've kind of blocked out a lot of my pro career mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's pretty 
there's so much baggage that goes with it. Um, and I think people who play professional sports will kind of understand, understand that. But I mean, if there was one thing that I would tell myself, I would go back a little farther to when I was 18 or 19. It would be to really embrace the process. Now there's so much great research and, um, the idea and concept of, of growth mindset is something that that really encapsulates what I think is necessary in 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 the mindset of a successful, not just a successful athlete, but a successful person, and the ability to kind of enjoy the process and enjoy the challenges and embrace your failures because you know that your failures are bringing you closer to success. That, that's something I really did not give myself the freedom to do when I was on the tour. So that would, I think that would be the biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice, uh, Coach Blackman. Uh, I, I, I spoke with um, the current head coach of Navy Women's Tennis, Keith Perrier, who was my coach at UMBC a few years back. And, and that was the title of, of that episode because, it, I mean, embracing the process, it allows you to enjoy, uh, you know, obviously what you're doing instead of focusing too much on the wins and losses, which can be really tough emotionally. But Coach Blackman, as you know, the head of player development at the USTA, uh, which is a huge job, I first want to ask you, when people mention player development, they, a lot of people don't know exactly what goes into that. So how would you define player development? I would say that we've got three, I guess, three really overarching goals in player development. I would say one of them is to create a system where we create programming and camps and evaluation opportunities for juniors uh, throughout the countries so that we're, we're doing a few different things where we're giving them, we're exposing them to high performance training opportunities at what we think is a world-class standard. We're connecting with their parents and with their coaches, and then we're evaluating them but giving that, sending that information back to their private coach. Because obviously, even though we've got great coaches, in the course of three days, there's no way you can evaluate a player. There's no way you know more about that player than their private coach. But we, we do kind of evaluate them based on some basic parameters and give some ideas or some suggestions to their private coach. But all the while making sure that we recognize and respect the role of the private coach that that system you know we've got 17 geographic sections in the country each section um has their own governance structure and each section is very unique in kind of the, the configuration of private sector coaches and programs and academies so we have a camp progression in every section and the approach in every section is a little bit different but obviously the goals and the objectives of the camp are, of, of the camps are the same. Uh, so I would say that's number one. Number two is really education, really trying to leverage our resources, our expertise, um, the expertise of a lot of other associated organizations, whether it's strength and conditioning, whether it's the ITF, um, anything that we can leverage to educate players, parents, and coaches. So that's a big part of, of what we do. 
um, and we try to be as current as possible. You know, number one uh, consideration, obviously, with any type of high-performance education is obviously the player's safety, the player's, the player's well-being. And then it, and then it moves from, from well-being and safety to emotional health and then, and then to performance. So I think, you know, the way, the way we look at it, we have a philosophy that informs the way we play, we train our players and how we design training at all of our camps. But at the foundation of that philosophy is character. So um, we believe that great coaches coach character first. So a lot of education. We have a great coaching education department. Uh, we have a performance department um, that includes mental skills and video analytics. We try to put our national coaches in, in positions where they can also educate. Um, and we also try to put ourselves in positions where we can continue to be educated and, and get better. And then the third piece of it is um, performance team support. So the third piece of it is what people would, I think, typically think of is, you know, getting your hands dirty on the court with a player, X's and O's, um, in the gym, at tournaments. The, the big difference in our approach and in my approach, um, it started a few years ago, is that we have a lot of, a lot of our top juniors and professional players have really good situations with their own private coaches. And what we've tried to do is we've tried to be, become a lot more flexible in the way we offer performance team support to those players. So, as opposed to offering um, kind of an either-or proposition, either you work with the USTA and you get all these things, or you don't and you don't get these things, we become very flexible in customizing the support that we get to those players. So when you look at the top juniors and the top pros, there's a blend of players that we do work with directly but the vast majority of the players that we're supporting, we're actually supporting supplementally. So we're giving them a little bit of on the road coaching or a little bit of strength and conditioning, but they have their own private coach, their own private team. Um, and we're really supporting them with that team because it's working. So those are the three things, Mervon, I think um, that I would like people to know about player development is the systems piece, um, the educational piece, and the performance team piece. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Well, I mean, I appreciate that, uh, Coach Blackman. And I, on the last episode, I spoke with uh, Coach Brian Bolin from UVA, and he also, yeah, he's he's a great guy. And he similarly mentioned that uh, you know there's so many different elements that go into uh, developing uh, great athletes and people. And if you just water one side of the tree, the other side will die. So you need all the uh, all the key elements uh, in tandem to be developed. But another question for you is. So you've you've obviously had a lot of experience developing players, and so what um, what key characteristics or traits have you found that most commonly need uh, the most amount of development among top young American players? Well, I think um, I guess there are two pieces. I'll, uh, you know, I'll touch a little bit on the on the psychology of it, and then maybe a little bit on the tennis part of it. Sure. Most of most of my developmental experience has been with players between the age of 12 and 18, with the exception of my, my time coaching college tennis. And so I think the first thing that I try to figure out when I'm working with a player is what are their goals for their tennis? Um, and so not what are my goals and not what are their parents' goals, but what are their goals for their tennis? Who who are they? What motivates them? What do they like to do? What don't they like to do? What are they afraid of? Really trying to get to know the player and also create an awareness in the player of who they are themselves, so that the relationship is kind of kind of starts on the right foot, and I can I can tailor my my approach to to their temperament. And their and their psychology and their and their personality. I don't think that we spend enough time getting to know who the player is. I think typically we start and the first thing we look at and we and I mean you know we're all guilty of it, but we see the player in terms of their tennis game. So we look at their serve, we look at their forehand, we look at their backhand, we look at their movement. And we, we judge and evaluate the player based on their tennis game. And the, the problem, the problem with that is that tennis is a game that measures your success based on how you compete under pressure. So if you, ne- if you neglect the, the factors that go into creating a healthy competitor, who can compete without fear, who's not afraid of failure or making mistakes and can do that under pressure. If you neglect that, then you, it really doesn't matter how good the player's forehand or backhand or movement or volleys are. So I'd say that's something I, I learned the hard way as a coach is I started way too fast on the tennis side of it and didn't invest enough time on the front end on the psychological part of it and getting to know the player. But then moving moving to the court, I think the biggest challenge for developing a world-class player today is that you have to develop a complete player. Mm-hmm. And um, in developing, there's two challenges in developing a complete player. One is that that means that you have to work on your weaknesses a lot, which is pretty uncomfortable. And two is, is that when you're working on your weaknesses, your short-term results can really suffer. 
Mm-hmm. So if you and that and that goes back again to kind of knowing the player and then spending enough time with that player so that player knows what the long term vision for their game is. Because if that if that player really knows what the long term vision for their game is, they will accept a little bit of a downturn in short term results. They'll accept a little bit of a discomfort. They'll accept some losses to players that they would normally beat because they know they're crystal clear in their mind about what the long-term vision is. One great example, and then I got to jump off, but one great example is Pete Sampras. um, When he was 12 years old, Pete was one of the top 12-year-olds in the country. He played mostly 14 and unders, and and he was he did great in the 14 and unders as a 12 year old when he was 13 years old. The, the story that I, that I've heard is that there was a lot of conversation with Pete's coaches and Pete was really clear about his dream to about of winning Wimbledon. And the consensus in those discussions was that to give Pete the best possible chance of winning Wimbledon, he needed to develop a great backhand slice. And it would, the best way to do that would be to switch from a two-handed backhand to a one-handed backhand. So I, I played, I played Pete when he was 13 after he had just switched to a one-handed backhand. If I played him a couple months before, he probably would have beaten me, uh, pretty easily. But because of his, his backhand was pretty weak, he had just switched to it. I beat him. Wow. And I'll never forget shaking his hand after the match and he had like a wry little smile on his face <laughs> kind of kind of like <laughs> enjoy it now because because you're never going to beat me again um but that i mean that's pretty crazy though that's pretty crazy for a 13 year old kid to make that kind of commitment and then you know seven wimbledons later you know we just read about it but um Again, that that's because he had total clarity on the long-term vision for his game. It's wonderful, Coach Blackman. I, re- I really appreciate it. Uh, if you have 15 seconds, uh, if I could ask you, what's one key piece of advice that you could give our audience on what they can do to help uh, improve their tennis game? One, my one piece of advice would be to figure out what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. And spend twice as much time on your strengths, but make sure you always spend a little bit of time trying to improve your weaknesses. Fantastic. And the, and the last piece of it is if you really want to get better quickly is make sure that you're having fun. I really appreciate that advice, Coach Blackman. I know you have to go, but uh, thank you so much for speaking with me. And uh, you provide a lot of great advice uh, on how to become a better tennis player and developing great players. And uh, I wish you all the best at the USTA, and hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Marvon. Thanks, Martin. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Coach Martin Blackman, head of USTA Player Development. Uh, it was definitely an honor to speak with him, and uh, it was great to really learn why the USTA and uh, the players in the United States are excelling and uh, you know heading to the top of the sport. It's because of the efforts of Martin and his team and the USTA, and uh, just kudos to them on a, a job really well done. 
Um, you know, Martin talked about the importance of setting goals, and uh, I happen to have created a free PDF showing you how to set SMART goals. Because again, you know, it's just really important to know uh, what you want to accomplish in your tennis career. And if you just uh, go on the court aimlessly uh, w- without a, s- a set goal, then you're not going to accomplish uh, as much as you could have if you had set proper goals. And so if you go to tennisfiles.com slash smart goals, that's S-M-A-R-T-G-O-A-L-S, you can pick up a free uh, smart goal guide and it includes a fillable worksheet. So if you download it, then you can actually um, fill in the parts where it, it guides you and asks you what you want your goals to be. And I'd also really appreciate it if you guys could uh, subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. Um, It just makes things easy. You know, if you enjoyed this interview and you've enjoyed other episodes and you subscribe to the show, whether it's on iTunes or any other, whatever app you use, um, then as soon as I hit publish on my end, it'll go straight to your, uh, be downloaded straight to your app as well. Um, So for iTunes, that would be tennisfiles.com slash iTunes and you know, I'm pretty sure you can figure it out. Just hit the subscribe button. So that'd be great. And I also always love to end the show, at least when I remember, uh, with a great uh, quote that I find to be very motivating and powerful. And so today's quote is from Stephen Covey. And he said, I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. And you can get all the show notes and all the links mentioned in this episode Uh, if you go to tennisfiles.com slash 35. All right, everyone, I really appreciate you listening to this episode, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.